1: Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation and enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. Time and distance are no barrier to energy, and that means no matter when you're listening, no matter how you found us, you are here for a reason. And I hope that something in the next hour lights you up and helps you move forward. What if you received an invitation to travel? And not just to pop around the corner for a sandwich, but to explore the astral plane, the spirit side and beyond. That's what's happening to my guest today, Garnet Schulhauser. He's here to share his stories of travels with his guide, Albert, and to bring through some important messages for us about our planet and our purpose. Are you ready to meet him? Garnet Schulhauser is a retired lawyer who lives near Victoria on Vancouver Island with his white wife Kathy. Oh, and his little dog Abby. After practicing corporate law for more than thirty years, Garnet retired in two thousand eight. He's the author of Dancing on a Stamp, Dancing Forever with Spirit, and his new book. Dance of Heavenly Bliss. Since the release of that first book in 2012, Garnet's been very active with book signing tours and speaking engagements, and he's a welcome guest on many radio shows, including this one. You can find out more about Garnet and his work at garnetschulhauser.com. Garnet, welcome to Out of the Fog.
0: Oh, uh, hi, uh, Karen. How are you today? And thank you for inviting me on your show.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I'm very glad you're here. Now, you were on the show before and we were talking um, when your second book came out. Um, we were talking and I I love your stories and I love hearing about your travels. And th- so thank you so much for coming back to share some more with us. My pleasure. What? Was your life like before all this started? When I just read that bio, I heard corporate lawyer, and then all of a sudden, I'm rambling the astral plane with my spirit guide. What what happened there?
0: Well, uh, like you said in in the introduction, I was uh, practicing law. This is back in 2007, so about a year before I retired, and I was taking a stroll down the street one day in my uh, navy uh, pinstripe suit and all buttoned down like a typical corporate lawyer. And, and strolling down the street, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a homeless man just jumps out in front of me. Um, and he looked like a typical homeless man. He you know he had long, stringy hair and a scraggly beard and dirty, slept-in clothes. But there was something very different about him uh, that, that, that that distinguished him from a lot of the other homeless people I would encounter on that street, and that was his eyes. He had these amazing, dazzling, sparkling blue eyes that were penetrating right down into the depths of my soul, and I felt that he, he knew everything about me, everything I'd ever said or done in my life, even though we'd never met before. So it was kind of strange. How does he know this? Uh, but I felt a very strong feeling that he did. And at the same time, his eyes were sending me this wave of pure, unconditional love that was infusing my whole body with an amazing sense of peace and security and well-being. It was a feeling like I've never had before, uh, Karen, and uh, it was wonderful. And I, so I was quite happy just to stand there, basking in this guy's gaze, and I could have stood there forever. It was almost like I was in a time warp. Mm-hmm. Don't, lo- don't know how long I stood there. Uh, but after a while, he broke the spell by saying to me, why are you here? Um, and then he promptly disappeared into a nearby store. And when I finally collected my wits, I decided I'd better go find this man. And so I went into the store, and I looked around. Uh, there was only one entrance and exit. He hadn't come out, and he wasn't in the store anywhere. Oh. So I went back out into the street, and I walked up and down, searching frantically, trying to find this man, but he had seemingly disappeared into thin air. So the next day I resolved that I was going to go back to the same street at the same time and see if I could spot this man. And so I did and I went back to the same street and I walked up and down for a while. Finally, I spotted him sitting all alone on a bench. And I went up to him and I said, who are you and why did you stop me the other day? And he said, I'm a soul just like you and I'm here to answer your questions and help you on your journey. And so that was the beginning of a dialogue that went off and on for the next several months. And I found out early on that his name was Albert, and he was one of my spirit guides in disguise. And that he he appeared to me in physical form as the homeless man for the first three encounters. And after that, we communicated by telepathy. He was just the voice in my head. And he told me that I was the only one who could see him as the homeless man. I could see him, and I I touched him, actually. He was very solid, very physical. But I was the only one who could see him in that form and had anybody else walked by the bench that day where we were chatting for the first time, they would have seen me sitting all alone by myself. They wouldn't have seen him. And he said that he chose to appear in the the homeless man uh, persona initially as his way of easing me into the conversation because had he just started talking to me as a voice in my head, I likely would have thought I was losing my mind. Uh, So it was a good way of easing me into it and then once he felt he no longer uh, needed to appear to me in physical form, then we just communicated by telepathy. And so our our dialogue there for the next several months was, by telepathy, it was question and answer. I would ask Albert questions, he would answer them. And then early on he told me that um, he was there not just to satisfy my curiosity, but he wanted me to write a book about his revelations so they would be available to everyone. And that resulted in my first book, Dancing on a Stamp.
1: Did you worry anyway that this was a little odd? I mean, you must have you saw homeless people every day. And I mean, clearly, you're someone who has a good grasp of your mental faculties. Did you worry about this?
0: Um, No, I didn't worry about it initially because he was very real and very solid. And I I knew that he was it was a bit strange that this guy, this, this homeless person had stopped me and wanted to have a dialogue. But very quickly, when I got into the conversation, I, could just, I immediately knew this was a very wise soul. And when he told me he was my spirit guide, I, I totally resonated with that. I, I didn't have no question whatsoever. He, he, he just exuded confidence and wisdom. And so I felt very comfortable with him, uh, uh, having a conversation with him. And then when he started communicating by telepathy, he, uh, I recognized his voice from his physical form. And so I was very quite comfortable, and I knew that I wasn't becoming a schizophrenic. Uh, and that uh, I was really having a conversation with the the guy who originally had appeared to me in in physical form as a homeless man, so i was I was quite comfortable with that. I was never n- n- never concerned or distressed by the encounter at all because he just had uh, you know he, he had he had the, the amazing gaze that just uh, gave me such an amazing sense of well being and peace and security so it was a wonderful feeling
1: Wow, it sounds like you recognized each other at a very deep level that he was there waiting for you, and maybe without knowing it you were Waiting for him, do you have you talked about with him? Has it was there an agreement that it would come together like this on the physical plane at this time in chronological time?
0: Yeah, absolutely. He said that he and I planned this before I was born, when I was preparing my life plan, uh, and so we clearly did plan it. Of course, he remembered it. I, I don't remember what's in my life plan, so this was sort of news to me. But he said, yeah, it was all carefully planned out, the timing and everything, and it was carefully orchestrated that I should be a lawyer for the first part the first two thirds of my life, basically. Uh, and then at the right time, uh, um, he would show up in my life and I would then leave the law practice, which I did a year after I met him. I, I retired from my law practice. And then, then I would write a book. And so it was all carefully orchestrated. And of course, uh, you know, when you, uh, when you've set out your life plan, you don't always know that things are going to go exactly as you plan. Sometimes they fall off the rails, but fortunately I, I fell into, uh, Fell into the plan with him, and uh, we just went from there. So I think it's uh, yeah, it was all clearly planned beforehand.
1: And I know that Albert will come, and you'll spend a, a time together traveling. And then when the when the book is done, or when the series of revelations are done, then he kind of goes away for a little bit, and then he comes back, and it's the next. Right? Is it if I were to see you while you were traveling, would you look to me to be asleep, or would you how? In what state is your physical body when you are traveling with
0: Albert? Well, my physical body is, he would always come at night. um, When I was, you know, I'd be be sleeping in my bed and then uh, he would come and I'd wake up and then he'd basically pull my astral body out of my physical body. So my physical body stayed in bed, sound asleep until I returned before the morning and then my astral body would slip back in my physical body. And then when I woke up in the morning, I would clearly remember in, in very vivid detail the uh, the trips I took with with Albert the night before the astral trips, uh, b- very clearly it was w- way more uh, vivid uh, than uh, any dream I've ever had, uh, and I remembered the details for quite a uh, quite a few weeks afterwards. Some of the details are fading now after you know a year or so, but uh, th- they were there strong enough for me to sit at the computer after I woke up and and make notes about what I'd seen and and, and who I talked to, which was, which I then used as the basis for my books. So. So when I was traveling astrally, of course, you, you're you're, um, you're just a being of energy, basically. You don't have any, any physical uh, attributes at all, so you can pass through walls and ceilings and, and whatever, you have no weight. And so it, it, would you be able to see me when I'm traveling in astral form? No, I, I, wouldn't, uh, I, I wouldn't appear to you at all. Um, and, and But you could see my physical body, but you couldn't see my astral body.
1: So if I walked in, I'd say, oh, Garnet's having a nice nap. Absolutely. and <laughs> And little would I know. Absolutely. No, when you wake up, are you, there's, there's so much emotion in a lot of what you share in these books, and a lot of these travels, and you see things that are wonderful and things that are horrific. So to me, as I read the book, there's a lot of emotion that's generated. When you wake up, are you exhausted from no, the trip?
0: Actually not, and I've been asked this before. I'm actually very refreshed, not exhausted, even though I may have had, seen some very horrific and distressing things. But when I wake up, I'm very refreshed, and I'm just quite eager to, you know, as I say, get to my uh, keyboard and start typing out uh, the notes, uh, the, you know, in, in terms of what I saw and who I talked to. Um, so no, I'm, I'm actually very refreshed, not exhausted, even though it may seem that that would be the natural flow if I've seen some horrible things. But I think for whatever reason, I, I woke up very refreshed and, and eager to set down my notes and writing so that I could eventually, uh, you know, uh, craft them into a book.
1: Well, and Albert is a wonderful tour guide, it seems to me. I enjoy his kind of, what I see as a little bit of kind of sly humor um, <laughs> with him. And I lo- I just enjoy, he seems to be your entree to many different uh, dimensions, many different situations to take you places where you might not have gone by yourself. One of the trips that you take with Albert takes you to an aquarium to have a, a conversation with a, a killer whale who's there. At, at part of the aquarium, can you share some of that story and the and the lessons that come out of that?
0: Yeah, it was a, in one of the astro trips. It was uh, he took me to an aquarium in uh, in California, and uh, there I had a conversation with an orca, a killer whale, um, and her name was uh, Yolanda, and uh, she had a, quite an amazing tale. She was you know, we communicated by telepathy. She said that you know that that her race and all the other dolphins and whales are very intelligent, sensitive you know, feeling creatures, and all they really want is to be able to live freely on our planet in harmony with Mother Earth and all the other inhabitants, including humans. And they're very distressed at the abuse they have been taking over the last few centuries, uh, you know, from humans being hunted and trapped and, and killed in waiting ships and caught in, in nets and imprisoned in water parks and, and stuff like that. And so, and, and she, she acknowledged that we're getting better at, at stopping the abuse for, we're, we're, you know, we are doing a lot less than we used to. We still do too much of it. And, and, and they, they just really want to live in harmony with us. And they, they do try to communicate with us, but most of us don't hear their telepathic messages uh, because we're not just in tune with that at this stage of our lives. And, uh, um, but But, I was able to hear it because Albert had sort of arranged all this so I could hear her her thoughts and her messages in my astral form, and so we had a really nice conversation and she she basically said, you know she had a uh, a, a child, a son uh, born in the aquarium, and it, it, uh, you know eventually he was shipped off to another aquarium he's still locked up, and she was lamenting the fact that she'd probably ne- never see her son again uh, and that he may never ever get a chance to uh, to frolic freely in the in the, in the blue waters of the Pacific, like she did before she was captured she was she was born free and then she was captured uh, later by uh, by men and, and and put into the the aquarium. She really longed for her chance to get out of her prison and get back uh, into the ocean where she could roam freely and uh, enjoy the rest of her life so it was really kind of a uh, it, it was I w- it was sad to hear her tale uh, and I really empathized with her. Flight and that of her son and uh, all the other creatures that are captured in uh, in water parks, uh, you know. I, I really wish that we could do something to to free them and let them roam freely again in the ocean.
1: It's so funny we think we're the only hmm, we think we're the only consciousness on the planet. We think that's that we are all there is, and that all the animals in our zoos and creatures and all everything is kind of there for us, and that's. Not how it is, is it?
0: No. And, and she said, yeah, humans just t- tend to have a very arrogant attitude that they're sort of the, the dominant, the only thinking race on our planet and that all the other creatures are basically just dumb creatures that don't have feelings or thoughts or emotions and that they're there for our pleasure to be used or abused as we see fit. And she said that's a very unfortunate attitude and that has resulted in a lot of the, the hardship that animals on our planet have suffered not just whales and dolphins but all kinds of creatures um, and she said it's, it's really too bad that humans can't see the light and understand that, that all animals have feelings and emotions and they should be uh, you know, treated with dignity and respect because they all have their own place in the universe and, and they're not, not, they weren't put there to be subjugated by humans.
1: In as that story um continues, Albert takes you to see a, a story about a puppy and um and a little boy and the abuse um dog abuse. Um and Albert says that when you say why did you allow the dog to be harmed? Um, why did you take me to see a murder and not do anything about it? And Albert says that his job isn't to intervene, that he's not able to intervene. If we're messing it up so badly, and I, I agree with you, I believe that we are. And if our cruelty and our arrogance are destroying something very beautiful and pure and alive, why is it that we don't receive that kind of help or intervention from spirit?
0: Well, because it's just part of of, of of the sort of the reality of life on earth and, and the, the, this you know spirit before we're incarnated, they will help us prepare our life plans and help us uh, coach us about the things that we should experience. But once we're born, we forget about where we came from, and we have free will to act. And so the trouble is then is that we have to deal with our human emotions. and our human emotions can range everything from you know um, love and compassion on the, on the positive side to, to you know anger, fear, hate, greed, uh, and so on. On the negative side, it's really a constant battle um, in our human minds between who's going to win out uh, in, in, for supremacy in terms of our emotions. And all too often, humans end up uh, succumbing to their negative emotions, which re- results in a lot of uh, strife and conflict. But the terms of a reference for how people uh, come to the earth school is that um, spirit does not want to you know intervene we have to sort of uh, make our own way through this morass that we've uh, created for ourselves and they don't want to unduly interfere because otherwise it would be too easy i mean sure albert could just go and say okay i'm going to stop all the animal abuse and all the other negative things on 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 earth but then we wouldn't learn anything from that it's really up to us as incarnated humans to to make our own way through uh through this mess that we've uh, find ourselves in and, and find our own way out and that's just part of the earth school, so that's why they don't interfere it's sort of like okay, you humans' got to figure this out for yourself, so you know do your best and see what you can come up with
1: well, and it doesn't sound at least as i as I hear in what you're saying that doesn't sound cruel like good luck with that right here's something appalling and good luck, baby. it sounds like there's a lot of love and support that does come in it's just that it's left up to us who are in embodied uh, who are in have taken physical form to actually make the change to take the action the love and support is there from spirit at least as i feel it it's just that we're the ones who need to take the action
0: exactly you know, you're right the love and support is there they're, they're clearly every, every one of us has you know two or three or however many spirit guides and they're constantly there to, to coach us and support us every step of the way on earth and they keep on sending us, you know, very positive messages. Um, uh, they try to communicate with us and try to get us, to, <coughs> excuse me, to follow the, the, the path that we had chosen for ourselves. But their messages are very subtle. You know, it's like intuitive flashes and whispers in our minds and gut feelings and uh, feelings in our heart. And uh, it, 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 so all too often, we, we don't hear these messages. Excuse me one second, Karen. Sure.
1: That's no problem. I think that our... Messages from our spirit guides often are are subtle. I know that um someone you're speaking with later in the book says that that when that souls try to influence the human mind but it it comes in like little flashes and it may or may not be heard, maybe sometimes too subtle to be perceived
0: yeah and that that's one of the big challenges that we all face is that we that we need to basically quiet our minds so that we can uh, d- Get rid of all the other thoughts that churn through our minds every day. I read somewhere that we have the average person has fifty thousand different thoughts every day Wow and uh, I don't know how true that is, but uh, you know and, and so stuck in among these fifty thousand different thoughts are, are maybe uh, you know a dozen or so messages from your guides, and so they can get lost in the in, 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 in the whole uh, the, the whole circus that's going on in your head uh, so the The real trick is to quiet our minds so we can get rid of the clutter and then we can we'll be better able to hear the messages from our guides and they're sending us as you say love and support trying to guide us on the in terms of where we should go in our lives and so to the extent that we can hear their messages more clearly uh we'll have a, a you know a more fulfilling journey and to the extent we don't hear them at all then we're just going to drift around aimlessly uh, and uh, and 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 probably not end up getting you know getting anywhere near where we want it to go in terms of our life plan
1: how can we then start to discern what are the voices of our guides? How can we know when information comes in that it's coming from them and that it's not just our fear-based thoughts or that's just the kind of ramblings that we have going on?
0: Yeah. And that's a challenge too. But, but what Albert says is that most of the time when, when uh, the thought pops into your mind or a feeling that you should be doing something, usually the first feeling is coming from your heart and that's, that's coming from your higher self or your guides. Um, so uh, and then all too often, then our mind kicks in, and our mind starts to rationalize, and uh, you know a different course of action uh, tries to ignore the message that uh, that's coming from your your soul and your guides, and and comes up with a different agenda for you. So it, it's really it's really difficult. But but if it, if it feels <coughs> excuse me feels right in your heart, then likely that's the message coming from your guides, uh, and uh, you and, and you just have to try to uh, corral your mind to make sure that it doesn't. Um, uh, sort of ignore these messages and, and carry on with his own agenda. So it's a constant tug of war between your human mind and the, and your guides in terms of where you should go and what you should be doing.
1: And that's, I think, why, at least for me, I'm a big nut about daily spiritual practice and how important it is to every day have something that you do that returns you to center, that returns you to the quiet place, so that it makes it easier than when things get noisy, because they will. When things get noisy, you can kind of tease out that quiet guidance. I believe personally that information that comes from spirit is always given in love, always given in light. Even if it's information, maybe you didn't want to know or an, an outcome you're not too thrilled about, but that that information always comes in from love and light. Sometimes we get so accustomed to seeing the negative, seeing the small, seeing the harsh, that that adds to the noise of our human life and makes it even harder to hear the voice of spirit.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it it's not an easy task. And, uh, you know, the only, you know, when I, I keep on asking Albert, well, you know, like Albert doesn't, he, he communicates very directly with me in terms of things he wants me to write about, but he doesn't give me personal advice, and okay. for that I have to uh, try to listen to the messages from my other guides, just like everyone else, and so he, the only uh, advice he could give me, and, and it applies to everyone basically, is try to meditate, just sit quietly somewhere in a quiet room, and try to block out uh, your, your other thoughts, declutter your mind, and just try to sit there quietly um, and sort of come within yourself and just listen. And eventually, uh, it's not easy, but if you uh, practice at this for, you know, every day for a long time, eventually you'll become way better able to hear the messages from your guides and you'll just have a much happier life. But, uh, you know, it, 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 it's not easy and it wasn't intended to be easy because, you know, I often said to Albert, well, wh- you know, why don't my guides just uh, communicate with me every day like you are and tell me what I should do every step of the way? And he said, well, if it was that clear to you, it would be way too easy. There'd be no, not much point in you incarnating on Earth because you came here to learn and experience things, and if your guides told you every step of the way what you should be doing, there wouldn't be much of a challenge. So he said, very deliberately, the messages are subtle, they're not direct like Albert has communicated with me, um, and they're intended to be so. So our challenge is to, to decipher what they're saying and try to find our life's purpose uh, through these very subtle messages.
1: Well, and often one of the... one of the um one of the most effective ways to connect with the human mind, I think, is through story and metaphor through image. And so I believe I'm not sure how you feel about this, that our imagination is a tremendous key to helping unlock our intuitive connection. And that having um, being familiar with your imagination and kind of feeding it through positive books and stories and art and music that delights you, that actually enhances your intuitive connection.
0: No, you're absolutely right, and in fact, I always remember a, a, a quote I read from Albert Einstein, where he—I can't remember the exact words—but he basically said that knowledge is great, but imagination is everything. Huh. Even he, you know, one of the renowned physical theorists in the world, said imagination is extremely important, and, and what you said is, is is really true because then you can uh, you can also uh, uh, help your ability to hear the messages you get from spirit uh, by. Uh, you know, through your imagination, because sometimes when you think a thought that pops into your mind, uh, when you imagine something that may be happening or that could happen, it's usually not coming from your mind, usually it's coming from your guides. And You just may think you generated it, but most of the time it's coming from spirit. And so that's a good way of of, uh, facilitating your ability to hear messages is by, you know, let your imagination roam and, and let it sort of go where it wants to, because it's probably being steered behind the scenes to a large degree by spirit.
1: I agree with you 100%. You're listening to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager, and my guest is Garnet Schulhauser. His new book is Dance of Heavenly Bliss, and you can find out more about Garnet and his work at garnetschulhauser.com. Now, I'm going to spell. Are you ready? It's G-A-R-N-E-T-S-C-H-U-L-H. A-U-S-E-R dot com, garnet Schulhauser.com. When we come back, I want to talk to Garnet about his travels with Albert to the spirit side and the encounter that he had with Jesus Christ and Adolf Hitler. We'll be right back after this. Come to the forest. It's a place not so far away. A place where you don't have to mow the lawn or babysit. I saw lizards and squirrels and ducks. Ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. A place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here.
0: Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you, the enchanted you. It's magic what flowers do the adventurous you
1: my favorite tree yes it's that one the free to be me you <laughs> ask your parents to take you to this not so far away place come to the forest where the other you lives but first stop by discovertheforest.org a public service announcement
0: brought to you by the US Forest Service and the Ad Council hey larry mind if i sit down nope This coffee tastes like uh, coffee. So what's going on? Not much. What's new? Not much. Okay, but can you please put the
1: newspaper down while you say not much? What what newspaper? This newspaper.
0: Oh, dude! What happened to your face? I see one, two, three, four, five, six... Dude, what is this? Eleven pieces of toilet paper stuck to your face?
1: I'm shaving in the dark to save energy. I'm helping the environment.
0: That's a dangerous way to help the environment. Well, sometimes you have to sacrifice yourself for the greater good. Dude, there's an easier and safer way to help the environment without sacrificing yourself. Go green, go public, take public transportation. It's good for the environment, and you won't have to live behind a newspaper. Wow. But for now, put the newspaper back up. A message from the public transportation systems across the country. To learn more, visit publictransportation.org.
1: I'm home, and I love it. I'm home
0: where I belong. It's always nice to come home, but these days, many Americans are at risk of foreclosure and losing their homes. Fortunately, help is available. Making Home Affordable is a free program from the U.S. government that has already helped over a million struggling homeowners, and we want to help you.
1: I'm home. And I love it.
0: I'm home. I'm home. Find out now what your options are. Go to makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1 888 995 HOPE. The sooner you act, the better chance we can help you. I'm home. I'm home. Where I've Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, and the Ad Council. And now back to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager on Empower Radio. Empowerradio.com.
1: Welcome back to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager, and I'm talking with Garnet Schulhauser. His new book is Dance of Heavenly Bliss. And these are the messages, the revelations that he receives from his travels with Albert, his spirit guide. You can find out more about Garnet and find out about all three of the books in this series at GarnetSchulhauser.com. That's G-A-R-N-E-T-S-C-H-U-L-H. AUSER dot com garnetschulhauser.com and of course I really I'd love to know what you think of this. Do you have dreams that are especially vivid? Do you feel that you travel on the astral plane? I know that I feel that I do. Do you have a connection with your guide that brings through messages, that brings through visions that you want to share? with the world you can always connect with me through my website karenhager.com and you can reach me via email that's the very best way to get a hold of me my email address is karen k-a-r-e-n at karenhager.com garnet so we were talking when we went off the air there for the commercial break um nate the producer and i were talking off the air and we were talking about yolanda the killer whale who you went to visit in the aquarium and nate was saying that he felt that he thought that you had actually physically gone to the aquarium. And I said, no, no, this is all taking place on the astral. This is another dimension of travel through time. And what it makes me wonder, and I'm not sure how quite to get into this. I'm fascinated, Garnet, with the idea of chronological time, which I believe is an illusion, and the multidimensional nature of the universe. And it made me wonder, do you feel... That if you and I could get in the car and go to every aquarium in the U.S. and Canada and wherever else, would we actually find Yolanda? Were you connecting energetically with a creature on this dimension who is in a physical aquarium on this dimension at this time?
0: Yes. Yeah. She, she, the, she, Yolanda was clearly in a, an aquarium in my current time, um, and as far as I know, is still there. And wow. I was—I just visited her in astral form. So. Presumably she's still there, unless all the aquariums have released their orcas recently, she's probably still in captivity.
1: No, but it's really cool. It brings an immediacy to that, Garnet, because then it isn't a metaphor. It isn't, uh, it is, you're talking about an actual telepathic connection with a physical being in this dimension in this time period.
0: Yes. Wow. That was how we connected, yeah. And she was very physical in our current time, and I was there in astral form along with Albert And we communicated by telepathy. And uh, it was an amazing experience, as I indicated earlier in the show.
1: Wow. Now, you also travel with Albert to the spirit side. And can you tell me what, so what is the spirit side?
0: Well, the spirit side is our true home, Karen. It's where we all came from before we incarnated. It's where we all return when we leave our physical bodies here, when our our bodies die. It's our true home. And, And on the spirit side, we are... Uh, our true nature, our, our, we're beings of energy. We are individual aspects of the source, the, the, the creator who created everything. And so we're, we're connected to the source, we're connected to each other. And over on the spirit side, it's a beautiful place. It's, a, it's, it's, it's sort of like a, the ultra paradise. Uh, there's nothing but unconditional love that everyone has for everyone else. Uh, there's nothing negative. There's, there's no uh, disease, crime, or suffering. Uh, everything's joyful and happy. Uh, and uh, it, it's a place where we where we reside in between incarnations, and we can stay there as long as we want. Uh, but it's a sort of a, a place to we regroup and, and, and gather back there after an incarnation, uh, and, and and talk to other souls, plan our next incarnation on the physical plane, then jump back into the physical plane, and then, but we always return back to the spirit side. So it's our it's really our true home. It's where we uh, it, it's where we are most natural. There, uh, you know, these physical journeys on the denser planes they're just sort of one-off uh, aspects of our, uh, of, of our lives as, as uh, individual aspects of the soul, and we do that to learn and experience things, but on the spirit side is where we are truly at home uh, together with all the other souls, and it's, it's a wonderful place. And so Albert took me there several times, um, and uh, uh, one of the things that I, that I did, as you know by reading the book, is that I, he often lined me up to meet other souls who had lived interesting lives on earth. Some of them were very famous souls. Some of them were just ordinary Joes, uh, but they had an interesting story to tell. And so Albert very carefully orchestrated all these meetings so I could talk to these people and, and, and learn from their tales, put them in my book, and hopefully there were, there's lessons there for not just for me, but for everyone else. So it was uh, yeah, a number of trips to the Spirit side, and I, I met a number of very interesting people.
1: Can you share one of those One of those encounters that's in the book, that's in Dance of Heavenly Bliss, is an encounter that you had. Albert arranged a meeting for you with Jesus Christ and Adolf Hitler.
0: Yeah, that was sort of a, I was sort of startled when I first uh, uh, came upon these two. Albert had told me uh, that he was going to take me to meet uh, two individuals, two souls, who had lived lives on earth, and he said one was a paragon of virtue and the other one was an evil monster. And, I, and this is before I actually got up to them, so I couldn't imagine what he was talking about. So as I got closer, you know, my jaw kind of dropped open, and there I saw them sitting on a bench having a very friendly conversation. It was Jesus Christ and Adolf Hitler, which was, like, kind of amazing. Wow, like these. I thought, what are these two polar opposites doing sitting and having a friendly conversation on a bench? Um, well, then I soon found out. Uh, and, and the reason he, that he hooked me up for this meeting was that he had told me before when I was writing... a dancing on a he had told me that all souls return to the spirit side after their physical bodies die, regardless of what they did, so that all the good guys go there, but even the bad guys, even the terrorists and the rapists and the murderers and the serial killers, when their physical bodies die on Earth, they all go back to the spirit side, because there is no hell, and there is no punishment. Um, So everyone goes back there, and so he wanted to sort of reinforce that idea with me, so that's why he showed me Jesus Christ, who we all assume would have gone to heaven, but Adolf Adolf Hitler, most people would have would, would, would have assumed and hoped that he'd be burning in hell. Well, there is no hell, so he's back on the spirit side, the soul that was Adolf Hitler. So it was a very interesting conversation, and the uh, the, the soul that was uh, lived his last life as Adolf Hitler. Um, he, as soon as I sort of sat down and we began the, the conversation, he morphed back into his natural. Uh, uh, state that he shows other people on the spirit side. So he was no longer in the a, in a military uniform, but in a, he's a handsome young man in, in a robe, uh, and he said that his name was Matthew. And he told me that, uh, yeah, he had lived his last life as Adolf Hitler. He, he totally regretted all the horrible things he had done in that life. He said that he hadn't planned those horrible things before he was born in his life plan. He had planned to put himself in a position where he would likely get into politics uh, but he didn't know where that how that would play out. And as it turned out, he said, once I got into uh, got into politics, uh, my negative emotions like uh, anger, fear, hate, and so on, got out of control, began to run my life, and I ended up doing all the horrible things I did as Adolf Hitler. And he said he felt really badly about it. But he said that that, that you know since he came since he he died, he crossed over, and like everyone else, he had a life review um, when he first came back to the spirit side, and he had to go over. You know, point by point, all the horrible things he did, and he said that was a tremendous learning lesson for him, and that he dearly wanted to um, to uh, go back into a, a new life on Earth and, and try to do better the next time.
1: Is one of the things that that soul yeah. mentioned to you, and I know it's elsewhere in the book as well, was the idea of when we pass, we can when we go home, we can go into what what you call a reentry hospital. Um, and that soul who had incarnated as Hitler said that he had spent some time in the reentry hospital when he came in. Can you say? But that's not punishment. Can you say something about what happens there?
0: Yeah, it, 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 it's a reentry hospital. It's for it's for souls who have have uh, died a, a horrible, tragic death in in in, in awful circumstances, um, or souls who have crossed over who had have done some horrible, uh, awful deeds. You know, during their their time on earth, like murdering people or. Uh, you know, being a terrorist and blowing up people, or like Adolf Hitler, and so when they first cross over, they have a lot. Those people have a lot of uh, guilt to deal with, and and so they need some extra help. And so they go into this reentry hospital, where the where the staff there uh, gives them lots of tender loving care. They wrap them in a cocoon of unconditional love and try to uh, try to help them understand what what has just happened in their life on Earth, uh, and understand that now the reality is they're now back here on the spirit side, and that that they should not, um, you know, uh, you know, retain that guilt sort of forever, but they should deal with it, go and have their life review, and understand that, that their last life on earth is just all learning experience, and then they, they can use that as a stepping stone to plan their next incarnation and try to, uh, you know, meet the challenges that they failed to pass in their last life. So it's a, it's a way of sort of a, a transition station before they fully transition back to the spirit side so yeah Adolf e. Hitler was there I met another um, in my book I describe a, a Palestinian terrorist uh, who I, who I met in the reentry hospital so it happens just to a few people who need some extra help to transition back to the spirit side so Hitler was one of them um, and uh, you, you know he, he, he had already got out of the hospital when I saw him and he was quite keen to plan his next life on earth and he he was very sorry about what had happened but he one of the interesting things Karen he told me that he had met with a number of the of the souls who had been victims of in his death camp on earth and he said that there's total reconciliation he said because those souls they recognize that like all other souls that what happens on earth stays on earth other than the memories and the experiences that that you that that you had uh, and, and so there's no hold over of hatred or deed for revenge or any of that sort of stuff so he said total reconciliation with the souls that he murdered in his, uh, in his death camp. So that was an interesting feature, uh, and it, it, it just brings home the fact that that's the cycle of life on Earth, is that when souls uh, return to the spirit side, they unconditionally, automatically, unconditionally love all of their souls, no matter what the other soul did to them in the last life on Earth. So it's a very interesting uh, uh, concept. A lot of people have trouble dealing with that, Karen. They would, they, a lot of people have told me, well... You know why is it a bad guy like Hitler or a serial killer, or whatever, doesn't have to be punished in some way? It doesn't seem fair. And Albert says, well, it's not about fairness. It's just that that's the way life on Earth is. And when you get back to the spirit side, you will recognize uh, what it is and you'll understand it completely.
1: How does that relate to our ideas about karma? That idea that what we that everything we do has consequences, and that sometimes those consequences Come to bear in other incarnations.
0: Yeah, and, and, and that often happens, but it's not—it's it, not sort of like a, a mechanical law that where you do something in this life and then something's going to happen to you automatically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Albert says karma is like a system of measuring you know, sort of the pluses and minuses in your life, and that when you finish your life, you—you it, it's part of your life review. You'll look, you'll look and sort of say, "Okay, did I have more pluses than minuses, or the other way around?" Um, and uh, if you have a negative. Uh, Karmic debt. Then you will feel a moral obligation to, to go back in another life and to try to uh, balance that uh, that off with some positive things. And so, um, it, but it's really your choice as to how you do it, because there's a number of ways to getting rid of, of negative karmic debt. You can either incur something negative in your next life, or you can do something very positive, which will erase the debt. And so, it's it, it's really a, it, it's not an immutable law of the universe, but it's a system of measuring you know how you've been doing. And uh, as long as you have a karmic debt, you will feel obligated to go back, but you're not forced to do so. So some, some souls actually who have a, a negative uh, karmic debt from lives on Earth might just say, okay, I've had it with Earth, I'm going to another planet, mm-hmm. or I'm going to stay in the spirit side. So no one can force you to keep going until your karmic debt is wiped clean. Uh, but most souls will keep on doing it just as, as, a, as a sort of a moral obligation. They, they want to keep on um, uh, going back until their debt is erased and then they can feel like they've now at a stage where they've graduated from the planet Earth. So that's how Albert described uh, karma to me.
1: So what is the role of free will here? Because what I'm... Hearing you say is that not um, it's not like you go to the spirit side and angry daddy is there and daddy says you got a C minus and now you have to come back as a corned beef sandwich or come back and, you know, shame on you. Here's your punishment. Try to do better next time. It sounds like when we go to the spirit side that we are left to our own discernment. And this sounds like it's with full spiritual awareness, which I'm with a much greater view of things that we are making decisions then kind of for ourselves about where we want to go next. Is that
0: right? That, that's absolutely right because, because no one else judges you when you finish your life on Earth. You basically judge yourself when you have your life review and you figure out whether, you know, as I say, whether you've, the pluses outweigh the negatives or, or the other way around. Um, and then no one tells you that you have to incarnate again or where you have to incarnate or what you have to put in your life plan. It's entirely up to you. Now, you get a lot of advice from other more experienced souls when you're devising your life plan. You know, If you say, look, I'd really like to try to you know, uh, meet this challenge again or balance my negative karma, what should I do? They can give you advice and you can accept it or not. It's entirely up to you. And uh, most of the time, of course, you accept advice, for the advice from the Council of Wise Ones and other advanced souls and, and try to follow what they say because they have a lot of experience about life on earth, but you're not bound to. It's, it's entirely, absolutely your own uh, choice in terms of what you want to do in your next life and, and what you want to accomplish and or if you want to leave the earth plane and go to another planet or just stay in a spirit side, that's entirely up to you. So it's, it's, it's it, that is our choice and, and and it's an absolute right.
1: Now through Albert, you made um, a connection who shared with you that I think this is Sophia who shares with you that um, although our human civilization here has embraced fear and in a large part rejected love, that there are civilizations in other places where love is embraced and fear is rejected. Where you've been talking about how we can, you know, I'm not going back to Earth, I'm going to go to another planet. Where are some of these civilizations where, where love is the rule instead of this sort of petty smallness that we seem to be doing here in Earth School?
0: Well, one of the, one of the planets was a, uh, that Albert took me to, a planet called Thrasso, which was a, basically a, a matriarchal planet ruled by women. And it was, uh, I, I went there for a visit and it, it, they had a sort of very modern society with ultra-modern buildings and flying cars and moving sidewalks and so on. And I met with the Empress there. Her name was Marpezia, And she was elected uh, by the common vote of all the women on the planet. Um, and she said the men are not allowed to vote. They're not allowed to hold any positions of responsibility or, or management uh, positions. Um, uh, and it, and all, so all the decision-making jobs and positions are held by women. And she says that they, they have a very uh, sort of loving planet. There's no crime or violence. Um, because uh, And how they, how they get there to, to, to make sure that the men aren't, uh, aren't violent and aggressive like they are in some planets is that they had all the men chemically sterilized when they were three years old, except for a few men that were used for a sperm bank. And uh, they, they, how they did this was years ago, they used to, they used to have a planet that was ruled, it was a patriarchal planet ruled by violent and aggressive men who subjugated the women. And then you know, one woman found, uh, had a vision in a dream where she was told that a, that a certain plant that grew in their forest could drastically reduce the testosterone levels in men. And so she started feeding this to her husband and secretly give it to other women, and soon it sped around. And after several generations, all of a sudden, the women were ruling the planet, the men were docile and compliant, um, they weren't aggressive, um, and, and they were they were quite happy to to, to to live in existence. And she says they don't they didn't subjugate their men. Um, the, the men were free to pursue recreational activities, uh, pursue studies, uh, sports activities. Uh, they could they could work in low level jobs if they wanted to or not at all. And so the men were quite happy. They never missed their sex drive because they don't they never remembered having it. And there was no sex between the men and the women. And and babies were incubated. Um, artificially um, using sp- uh, sperm from a sperm bank um, and eggs from the, the females, and, uh, and, and the, the, the children were all raised separately, girls sort of in one school, boys in another, and girls were taught that they had to uh, you know, take responsibility for what went on in the planet and assume positions of, uh, of management, and the, and the boys were taught something totally different. And she said, as a result, they had a very nonviolent, uh, loving kind of existence, um, no wars, no conflicts, no crime, as I said. Uh, and, and, you know, I said to her, well, don't the women sometimes get into disagreements over what should be done? And she says, yes, they do, but they're always able to resolve those problems peacefully. And so as a result, they have a very peaceful planet. Um, it wasn't, uh, to be honest, it wasn't place I'd like to live, uh, Karen, but uh, it, was, uh, it just gives you another example of how a human civilization has taken a different course uh, and ended up with something that was... Uh, quite beautiful quite peaceful actually
1: and with that idea are there many many other planets is it rare for civilization to be on other planets or is it many many
0: well there yeah there's millions and millions and millions of if not billions of planets that have different life forms um, not all of them have human civilizations uh, but there are there are a number of other planets that have human civilizations uh, that was one of them that he took me to. He took me to another one, which was really quite distressing, where uh, the, the the humans there were enslaved uh, by uh, a mutant race of, uh, that was mutated between humans and, uh, and 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 cats, and so the and so the other the feline race basically enslaved the humans. It was a horrible existence. I didn't ever want to see that planet again. But there was another example of where you know in contrast with the matriarchal society, here was a society where the humans were enslaved in very distressing conditions by another race. So those are two I saw, um, and, and there are more, I know, but those are the only two other human civilizations that I saw in, uh, in terms of book three.
1: Mm. What have you learned about how beings from other planets have helped and shaped our civilization here on, on Earth? I know you had an experience of seeing Stonehenge being built.
0: Yeah, and and that was a a vision or a a scene I saw in the Akashic Records on the spirit side. And uh, basically, he showed me a life that I had back in 3000 BC. I was a Druid priest um, living on the Salisbury Plain in England. And and as I watched the scenes unfold, uh, uh, my character there had a a vision, a dream, where somebody said, you know, go to this certain area on the Salisbury Plain uh, on this date. Uh, because there's a message for you. And and so I went there, and there was this spaceship that landed shortly thereafter, and out of it came a human. He was a very uh, handsome human, but larger than us, about eight feet tall. Uh, His name was Mogans, and he had come from uh, a planet in the Andromeda constellation, and he said that he came to enlist my help, that he wanted me to gather the villagers from my village and help him build a structure that he needed and the structure was to be um, a navigational beacon that, that his race and others would use when they were navigating in, uh, in warp drive. Uh, and so he had detailed plans, uh, and I uh, helped him gather the villagers together, and uh, I convinced the villagers that he was a god who had come down from heaven and that he wanted us to build the structure. And so with the help of some technical tools that he brought with him, one was a laser cutting tool, which could cut into rock with great precision. And the other one was a, an anti-gravity one, which if you aimed it at something, a big boulder, it would basically have no weight. And so with the aid of those tools, um, we carved out, uh, the, the villagers and I carved out all these stones uh, from quite a distance away, transported them uh, to Stonehenge and laid them in the, in the circles that, that you now know and see as Stonehenge. Um, and then when all of that was done, uh, the guy from the, from the spaceship put a power box in the center which, which powered the whole thing, and he needed these stones arranged in a certain fashion uh, in order to make the whole thing work. And so that was that was how Stonehenge was built. And 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 later, a few hundred years later, he came back and retrieved the power box when it was no longer needed. That's why it's not there anymore. But as far as the villagers were concerned, um, they built that as a place to to, to uh, for religious ceremonies to worship the gods, and they thought that this guy from the spaceship was a god, and so. That's how it all played out. And that's how Stonehenge was built. So it's very interesting.
1: Are there, are you aware? It makes, you're making me wonder now about the pyramids. You're making me wonder now about a lot of things. Were, do you know if there was extra help with things like the pyramids? All these marvels, these things that we don't understand, sacred sites where the meaning has been lost or it's murky. Are some of those having to do with our connection with beings from other planets?
0: Yeah, I, and I didn't have any direct knowledge about that, but I did ask Albert about some of the other things, and he said, well, he said that yeah, some of the things were built with the aid of, of uh, extraterrestrials, but he said that uh, it wasn't on his agenda for him for me to see how those things uh, you know were developed. He said someday maybe he will let me know, but he said for now I'll just show you about Stonehenge, and and then we have other things to other things to do. So I really expect that a lot of the things like the pyramids, some of the other structures probably were built. With the help from extraterrestrials, but I don't know the details.
1: Mm. What is your relationship with Albert like now? Like right now?
0: Oh well, he's he's still. Uh, he, he, I'm still in contact with him. Uh, in fact, I'm sort of. Uh, I, I'm sort of in the middle of uh, uh, about to finish uh, another set of astral trips with him that started uh, a few months ago, and I'm currently writing the manuscript for my fourth book. Oh, good. Yeah, and I'm about three quarters of the way through, uh, and uh, so I'm still in contact with Albert. And uh, book four will be about more astral trips with Albert.
1: When people go to garnetschulhauser.com, dot com, can you let let me know what what will they find? How can they connect with you?
0: Uh, well, my website has information about myself and about all of my books. All three of the books you can get you can download a, an excerpt from each book. You can watch a book video. Um, you, you can. Uh, Click in all my social media sites like Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and and YouTube. Um, um, I have posted on my website and on YouTube uh, recordings of all of my radio shows that I've done since, uh, since June of 2013. This is number 82, Karen, for me. Oh, my gosh. And uh, so you can get all the recordings right back from my very first one. Um, and uh, there's buy links on my website where you can click on all the popular online stores like Amazon and Barnes & Noble and many of the other ones. And you can get right to a place where you can... Buy my book, uh, books, and uh, a lot of the bricks and mortar stores have them. Uh, and if your favorite uh, bricks and mortar store does not, they can certainly order it for you. So uh, my website has a wealth of information, and I encourage people to dial into it. And my website, or sorry, my email address is there. And if anyone wants to call me or send me an email with a with a comment or a question, I'd I'd be delighted to hear from them.
1: Garnet, thank you so much for for being on the show. It is it is. It's always great fun to travel with you, and I really appreciate you coming and sharing these messages with the listeners. Will you please come back when the fourth book is out?
0: Definitely. I, I certainly enjoy being on your show, and thank you for having me again.
1: Oh, thank you. You're very welcome. That is Garnet Schulhauser. His newest book is Dance of Heavenly Bliss. This is the third um, of three. Fourth one's coming. Um, so Dancing on a Stamp, Dancing Forever in Spirit, and the third one, Dance of Heavenly Bliss. Find out more about Garnet and his work at garnetschulhauser.com. I'm going to spell it just one more time so you got it. Garnet, G-A-R-N-E-T, Schulhauser, S-C-H-U-L-H-A-U-S-E-R, garnetschulhauser.com. And of course, I'd love to hear from you. You can always find me, uh, Karen, at karenhager.com. And on my website, which is karenhager.com, that's a wonderful place to find out about upcoming classes and events. If you go to my website, right on the front page, there'll be a place where you can give me your email address and you can um, get a free sacred space toolkit for doing that. I'm getting ready to launch something a little bit new, a little bit different, a little bit edgy for me. And I'd love to have your name so that I can put you on the list and tell you all about it when the time is right. So all that's at karenhager.com. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace.